And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT to 9.5 FM, or possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners across the country internationally as well. Uh, or you could be listening on our podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. I'm your host, Saren Kaster. I'm in studio. Once again, it's like it's getting so family-like in here. We have both Dave and <laughs> Stephen Hostetter. Uh, in this case, relation. Because um, usually people say no relation. It's true, yes. This time, there is a relation, yeah. It's true. So there's a, well, we want to make sure that we have all our biases for tra- sake of transparency. Right. These two gentlemen are related. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Stefan, I'm just sort of doing the fluffy intro. You're going to get into the details here, but I just wanted to make a quick comment first that just to say that, boy, I, I feel like we all kind of really wanted to find non Kinder Morgan news to talk about this week. And they're just <laughs> no one's talking about literally anything else. Mm-hmm. So with apologies, we have a largely Kinder Morgan focused show, but we do have new information to bring you. So if we're not uh, we're not repeating ourselves here, but uh, apologies for staying on topic as a brief uh, opportunity. <laughs> we so are going to not stay on topic where we I know, apologize we're I know. topic this time well, just our bad you know because I like a variety is the spice of life Stefan and, uh, and sorry for covering the news everybody well I just wish there was something else to talk I mean couldn't have, uh, never mind I was going to make I was going to make an inappropriate joke um, uh, so as it, the only tease I will offer you before that is that at some point during today's show I have actually flushed out one of those policy proposals that I've been teasing I don't know how much time we'll have it may just involve a dot 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 stay tuned and it may involve more of a flush out but I have been working on that I keep mentioning it and it's not a lie. I have been working on them, and I think I have a good one. Uh, but we'll see how much of that I actually get to today. With that as the off-topic tease, Stefan, what's happening? Yeah, thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Or good afternoon, good evening, good night. Good evening, where you're listening to this show. Uh, <laughs> please don't sue me, Jim Carrey. I feel like I'm probably good on that one. Uh, so basically, we're coming We're coming at first again, Kinder Morgan, uh, from a, a variety of standpoints, specifically actually jumping off of a incredible amount of work done by Mike D'Souza. Honestly, at some point, the environment, it, like the environmental world needs to wake up to how much work Mike D'Souza is doing. He's a, he's a reporter for the National Observer. I think he's a he's managing d- editor. Actually. He's doing the heavy lifting for the entire country's journalism. Like, if, <laughs> honestly, like if, if Mike, if, 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 if this report that we're about to t- cover all takes down uh, Trans Mountain. That basically means that Mike D'Souza's reporting will be a <laughs> serious part of both Energy East and Kinder Morgan, right. both eventually being shot down. So not single-handedly by any stretch of the imagination, oh, no, 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 no. but but relative to individual persons, just yeah. a well over uh, leveraged. Yes, just <laughs> uh, individual, unbelievable effort, <laughs> effort on his part, uh, and especially given the fact that you know he has been sort of you know shunned by the major news outlets and basically went off and made his own. Which means, before you get to the news prediction quickly, yeah. sorry, uh, within five years, Mike D'Souza will either have been received an award or be in jail. That's my prediction. Five <laughs> years. Uh, yeah, so he and Linda Salmonwood over at the National Observer are doing unbelievable work, especially his especially his work to uncover some of the, the bigger problems they need to be. So we'll get into that. There's a big update there. And although, despite the fact that a big percentage of this is not really hitting any of the other mainstream news, most of the mainstream news remains focused on the sort of political tensions between everything. Whereas if it go, if, if Kenneth Morgan does not go through, it will be because of some of the things I think that he's sort of pointing out here. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. Then we're also going to cover. Uh, the, we haven't really st- talked about Scott Pruitt for a while. I feel like we spent a bunch of time really early on in the Trump administration, uh, basically, you know, foreboding the uh, or with a sense of foreboding about what he was going to do. And turns out we were right. Uh, or <laughs> and so was everybody else who saw him coming in. Uh, he is embroiled in controversy while also trying to single-handedly destroy the EPA. So we're going to cover that. Uh, we'll cover uh, some some work on uh, some more United States news around Jim Bridenstein, who uh, who's a former climate denier who's going to run NASA, and uh, and then we'll come up with some HSBC news as well as talking about the sort of coming back to a story we covered maybe about a year ago uh, or so in regards to the increasingly difficult and dangerous job that being an environmentalist is around the world. Uh, there's another report coming out from The Guardian. It's, a fo- it's an ongoing report that we sort of we followed up on last year and come back again this year, uh, that 20 environmental defenders have been killed this year. And again, reminder, it is April 27th. Uh, so it's 20 in the first four months uh, around the world. And so we'll cover that at near the end of the show. But opening up again, we've teased it a bunch. New updates on the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Uh, throw it over to Dave. Yes. A, so, a, as you said, a new investigative report from the National Observer shows how the review process for the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion may have been rigged in favor of approval. 
Anonymous government officials have said they were instructed by higher-ups to, quote, give cabinet a legally sound basis to say yes to the project. This occurred even as the government was claiming that it hadn't yet made a decision and to be negotiating in good faith with First Nations. Directly prior to a meeting on October 27, 2016, federal officials told Tsleil-Waututh First Nation members that the government had yet to make a final decision on the pipeline. In the following meeting, which was only for government officials, instructions were handed down to give cabinet a legal argument for approval. The revelations could have an effect on the courts that are deciding whether meaningful consultation was held with First Nations and whether approval of the pipeline was therefore valid. The report also sheds light on the review process as a whole. In documents obtained through access to information requests, Kinder Morgan Canada reported lobbying federal officials over 36 times in 2016 ahead of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's approval of the Trans Mountain expansion. The company's Canadian president in January 2016, Ian Anderson, requested a phone call to discuss the project with the highest official in the Natural Resources Department. Afterwards, an email was sent around the department asking for the review process to be expedited. Trudeau had promised to expand the process, but it was nonetheless shortened after these communications. Explicit orders were then given to find a way to approve the project. The officials involved were never asked to consider the possibility of rejection or to restart or to restart the process in an expanded way. Prime Minister Trudeau did appoint a panel to determine the validity of the National Energy Board's conclusion that the project was in the public interest. After its review, the panel stated that the National Energy Board offered no evidence in its report on the Trans Mountain proposal as to what specific elements of the Trans Mountain proposal fulfilled the public interest. Towards the end of the process, in November 2016, the government gave First Nations only two weeks to review over a thousand pages of information. Alex Keenan, a lawyer who spent five years working for uh, First Nations on a number of issues, told the National Observer that the groups are, quote, usually pressed for human and financial resources, and so it can be hard to pull something together, especially if they're working with the council that can't necessarily devote 100% of its time to going through these documents. So two weeks sounds very short. A 164-page document from Tsleil-Waututh First Nation was subsequently rejected in its entirety in less than a day. Approval for the pipeline was announced five hours later. BC-based lawyer Jack Woodward has said, The courts have held on several occasions that if you hold consultations but you have a secret agenda or all options are not on the table, then they're not legitimate consultations. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says the federal government must release the relevant documents. NDP parliamentary leader Guy Caron brought up the issue in the House of Commons this week, saying, quote, it's as if the CEO of Kinder Morgan had a direct line to the Minister of Natural Resources. Trudeau did not comment on the National Observer's report, but reiterated his stance that pipelines and environmental protection can go hand in hand. Trudeau's support for the project is ostensibly a trade-off with Alberta in exchange for the support for limiting pollution levels. Writing for the Georgia Strait, David Suzuki has pointed out that for the federal government to argue that the pipeline is necessary to keep Alberta on board with its climate plan is short-sighted when the party leading in Alberta polls opposes key elements of the plan. Thanks so much. And I think, so uh, this is why this matters uh, in, a, in a couple ways. The first is that the the way that this approval happened, the way that sort of they announced all of them at the same time, and you know, and that Kinder Morgan was approved at the same time, Energy East was 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 rejected, uh, and or actually, no, Energy East came came later and was was moved off. But um, some of the other, there's two other pipelines that were sort of rejected at the same time. It always felt like it was a political decision, right? It always felt like basically they were saying to everyone, sort of, hey, look, we said no to these two pipelines, but yes to this these pipelines, and that shows that we're that we're unbiased. Right, because we because we everybody said, got what they wanted. Right, you don't want pop lights. We killed one. You do want pipelines. We greenlighted one. Everyone should be happy. Right, <laughs> and, and that and that that's really how it felt from the get go. Right, that was how it felt from the very beginning, which of course fundamentally calls into question without any documents whatsoever how much any of these uh, these 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 groups were consulted. Because this question of whether or not uh, the Tsleil-Waututh and the other First Nations were uh, were were correctly consulted is incredibly important 
it is if this thing like that the fact that if it comes out that they were going to greenlight it regardless of what ha- what 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 the feedback had been coming or what what consultation had been done if if that is the case then then there's a very strong case to be made that they were not adequately consulted and and that if if this is never not going to be different then there's then how do you make the case that you were consulting anybody can i make a quick comment about projection uh so i think that's really honestly what's going because i've like i've spent a lot of time here commenting and, and thinking in my free time about like what is going through justin trudeau's head and I think a lot of that, uh, one way to look at it, I don't think it's the only factor, but one way to look at that factor is the idea of projection, which is that, you know, until we receive new information or until someone calls our attention to it, people generally by instinct assume that other people have similar motives to theirs. So for instance, if, if you meet someone who's constantly accusing other people of stealing their stuff, start watching your pockets around them, right? Because they're always thinking about you know, stealing from people is something they think a lot about. That's so projection. Um, and uh, politicians do this a lot. Republicans in the American in the American system are hilariously fam- famously bad at this. Like, because they're so obvious about it. Uh, it's about you guys are just trying to rig the system. Like, while well, they're trying to pass a bill that rigs the system. Like, that is their whole game. So I think what's going on here is that, like, from Justin Trudeau's point of view, his whole game is how do I get what I want and save face? And what I want is malleable because what he wants is like intangible. He wants political victory which is an intangible thing so he so for him it's like a points game it's not like a i win when i get these 12 things it's i win when i can make it look like i won like it's a self-fulfilling thing (laughs) so right so it's like because it's all optics for him his end game is the optics of the situation and so uh, to to wrap up what my point essentially is that like when he's saying well uh, you know, we were sort of joking about like, well, you said you didn't want a pipeline, so I killed one, and you said you did, so I gave you one. Is that from his point of view? I think he really thought that would work because from his point of view, he's look, look, I gave each of you a rhetorical win. Take your win, save your face, and go home because that's what he's doing, and so he assumes that everyone else is playing that way too. That I just wanted to put that optical. Well, it's not for sure what yeah. happened, but that's my opinion. Well, I, I, it certainly comes across that he is playing more of a f- role of facilitator than a leader. Right. And I, and I think that in many times, a, having a facilitator versus a leader is valuable. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in a lot of scenarios where, you know, especially in, in, in dealing with different organizations and stuff like that, that is what you want. You want someone to come and look at sort of the, the wide range of options and, and facilitate some sort of mutual shared agreement. It's very difficult to facilitate when you have a dog in the fight, though. Well, for sure. <laughs> uh, but then but then also it's also really hard to facilitate when when one when there are you're up against hard limits. Right. Like, I don't think I don't think what they didn't realize we sort of mentioned last week it was the was the fact that there are some hard limits from on from on on the side of the of the sailor watch of the first nations and 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 all in in climate environment and, and climate and other justice climate justice advocates and stuff like that who who really were like the there isn't a middle ground here like the 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 any sort of pipeline going through was the real goal of uh, of of Alberta, right? Alberta just wanted a way to get its to get its oil off the market. And what's what's almost more ridiculous is the fact that they had Keystone XL, and that was the victory that they that they were so sure was going to be necessary to win. And then as soon as that gets approved, suddenly now it's oh actually no, it's no longer that one. It's actually this other pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know now America is too faulty, and we need to and, and we need to actually have this one that's going out to the west coast. Uh, and it's as, it's as if each one of these new pipelines is suddenly the thing they have to have or everything falls apart. And whereas, it, so I think the problem Trudeau is having is that he did not fully estimate how hard line the that he was going to come up against in this negotiation. He didn't know that pristine was pristine. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like he didn't, he didn't, <laughs> I'm sorry, did I stutter? I said pristine. <laughs> like, then that's the problem here, right? Is that all of this really comes out and that's the problem also with this sort of, it, it's, it just shows a level of bad faith throughout the entire process, right? Like, and it, and it really calls into question this, uh, this duty to consult is, is so misunderstood, Clearly, mm. by the by the federal government and by by the Canadian government, the con the, they've so consistently ignored the concept uh, that duty can consult actually means that, like you actually means that they must accept indigenous feedback and and, and change their plans. But what ha- ends up happening is that they end up sort of adding in a couple million dollars here or, or some other thing there, and presuming that that still means that this can go through. And and that has fundamentally they've they've when that when that is not the case they get stuck in this kind of scenario which is that they're 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 they've stuck their neck out really far 
for this. And, and David Suzuki at the end is right. Like what's 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 ridiculous about this is that Trudeau at this point now is is basically sticking his neck out incredibly far to get a pipeline through with the understanding that then he will get support for the climate plan while fundamentally knowing that Jason Kenney is not going to accept that climate plan in a year. Like Jason Kenney is going to win, Rachel Notley is not going to win the like you can come back and like I will donate even if they uh, get like, the pipeline. Even though, she's gonna lose. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it does not matter. Jason Kenny's gonna be the next premier, and it doesn't matter if they get the pipeline. Jason Kenny is not going to accept the carbon price that the federal government is going. So, like at this point, Trudeau is basically putting all of his eggs in a basket that are, I will get this pipeline through so I can have this climate plan, while he and his leaders must know. That in a that the that Rachel Notley is 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 on her way out, and Jason Kenney, no matter how many pipelines you build, is not going to support a, a price on carbon. And there's one there's one other sort of funny angle to that too. Just a yes and what you were saying there, Stefan. Imagine this scenario where uh, you know the federal government takes BC to court, takes them to Supreme Court, has this huge politically damaging like a lot of bloodletting. Uh, everyone who leaves bruised and bloodied, both politically and legally speaking, and then he has to turn around and, and facilitate their support to then sue Jason Kenney's government in Alberta to get them to. Right. Like, this is going to be never-ending <laughs> lo- like litigation. No one will win. Well, yeah. he's created a no-win situation for anybody. Well, and, and that's the thing about the, the Alberta's position too is that they and they, which also makes Rachel Notley's position the only part of that, that makes sense is that like. Basically, by trying to upload, by trying to empower the the federal government to to move closer to federalism in these in these issues, would theoretically then strengthen uh, Trudeau's ability to then go back and basically force this on 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 um, on on. On Alberta, but we're going to see. Like, what's what's nuts about this is that right now you're going to have a whole bunch of people. The the entire side, conservative side of of the news is is staunchly arguing that the federal government has the right to do this. Federal government must get its way. In one year, the moment that the Saskatchewan uh, the court case against the federal government goes against carbon tax, every one of those people is going to switch. And then all of them will suddenly be like, no, province rights. Federal go- keep the federal government out. It's right. like, which is just, and you know that's going to happen. They're already saying it. Doug Ford has already said he's going to support the, the fight against the carbon tax. You know Jason Kenney's going to jump in. And so basically you have a bunch of conservatives right now who are going to argue very vehemently that we, that we have to have a strong federal government to get a pipeline, who in one year are going to turn entirely around and say, we must have a strong provincial rights to ensure we don't have a carbon pr- price on carbon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is going you can, you can see the right on the wall right now. This is a year or two out from a couple different elections that all fall and we'll be in a very different political climate when Trudeau goes back up for election. And he has got to figure something out because he he honestly he might get bailed out by the courts. His only hope is that the courts actually bail him out and say it's not legally allowed. And then he right. has like, well, I can't control Which is far the from a certainty. It's far from a certainty. But like <laughs> at this point, it's really the only way he's going to get out of this without without something. Yeah. Uh, but this, I mean, it won't it won't make any political difference. I, well, no. OK, let me uh, let me address that. It'll make less political difference. Difference than it might otherwise, because uh, no matter what, no matter what he, no matter whether or not he has a legitimate excuse via, uh, well, I'd love to have forced this court, this pipeline through, but the courts won't let me. That that in no way takes away any political ammunition the conservatives have of saying of just drumming up that he failed it, right? Like they can right. just that's that's not going to be relevant when it comes time to campaign. But what is he supposed to do? Take over the courts? Right. <laughs> sure, more authoritarian. That's the solution. Is authoritarianism. No, I mean he's basically he's basically. To, I don't know what to advise him at this point. He's he <laughs> he has dug himself into a well where basically he's designed a system that is ensured that literally everyone hates him, um, and he the the left hates him uh, for being ineffective and two faced, um, and the environmental subset of the left hates him uh, because he's been clearly uh, FOS on climate policy. Uh, and then the right hates him for uh, the obvious reasons that the right always hates him, which is because that he doesn't want to, to burn the planet for a couple of bucks. Um, you know, to light all our houses on fire to make a quick sale. Um, so, like, I really don't know what I mean. I've long history of providing Justin Trudeau advice on this program. I really, I really don't <laughs> he know what's so far taken none of it. <laughs> it. Well, and that's his own fault, isn't it? Because I've been warning him about this for for years, uh, well before he was prime minister. I've been I've been offering advice, and, and it hasn't been taken. So, uh, <laughs> shockingly, I, have, I don't think he listens to this. Show. I don't. I don't think, and nor do I think we'll probably end up getting to my proposal today. But my proposal actually does address this problem. So I will continue to tease that. But <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're probably due for a music break. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, I that's my fault. I apologize. Megan, will you please interlude us here? Lay me down now. Lay me 
Thank you. You're listening to The Green Majority, and thank you, Megan, for that great music break. We're going to continue our discussion now uh, where it will go. Who's to say? We're full of rambles here today, but Stefan, to keep us at least initially on track, what's next? Yeah, yeah. We're, so we're covering, uh, again, we're, we're jumping back into the world of Scott Pruitt because uh, a, year, a year, he's managed to do, honestly, uh, he's managed to be incompetent in ways I didn't expect, I guess is, is how I'll say. I, I, did, I, I fully presumed that he would, he would do a fair amount of gutting of the, of the actual EPA, uh, which we'll get to later. But he's managed to get himself embroiled in a whole bunch of other just kind of more silly controversies. Uh, and, and Dave, so Dave, you're going to give us a quick rundown of, of the latest one, I guess. Yes, the um, U.S. Federal Environmental Protection Agency head, Scott Pruitt, uh, went up against a heavy questioning period on Capitol Hill yesterday. Uh, concerns have been mounting uh, over a series of inappropriate behaviors by the EPA chief, including huge and obvious favors from oil lobbyists, vast sums of money spent in travel and paranoid security activity, massively unprecedented raises for close aides, and a $43,000 secret soundproof phone booth in his office. His own employees are required to have an escort to meet with him and are not permitted to take notes at meetings. Pruitt has deflected questions by consistently blaming his subordinates. Uh, bipartisan support for his firing has been building over time, and he was straight up told to resign multiple times during the hearings, in which he stated simply, fact is fact and fiction is fiction. Thanks so much. Uh, so well, I'm satisfied. He must be innocent. Yeah, exactly. A fact is fact. <laughs> figures again. You know what is another fact? Uh, is which I think we have not covered on the show. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this one, um, which is the the fact that for quite some time uh, he was living in a house uh, that was an Airbnb quote air to an Airbnb style arrangement, uh, paying fifty dollars a night, uh, which if you which with with just a just walks away from his work, just so close. Mm. Uh, and 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 for many places in the world, fifty dollars a night uh, for an Airbnb standard is not unreasonable. And uh, to be fair, in his defense, I've I've spent a little bit of time in in DC. Actually, it's one of the few American cities I've been to, and very hard to walk around that place. So I, I'll cut him some slack on the locale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he needed to be close. It's useful to be closer. Right. It's it's right. good. Uh, what is less good is the fact that he's paying fifty dollars a night to rent an Airbnb apartment, uh, which would normally uh, compile according to Airbnb itself, um, or the website in, inside Airbnb, uh, would normally go to about for about one hundred thirteen dollars to one hundred forty two dollars per night. So mm. already you have a official here who is making who is basically paying out of his own pocket uh, about less than half of what he should be for for his arrangement, and 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 this, and this is a guy who, as I'll detail in a second, is really not worried about spending a ton of money as long as it's not his. Uh, if it's his money, clearly he looks out of a way to get, get this kind of arrangement. So for $50 a night, a house that should be basically almost three times that, really. Right. And even after after this came out, he had to move, and he's now paying about five times that. Uh, so uh, so it's not just $50 a night. It's, it's who owns the condo that he's renting. That's mm -hmm. the real thing. And and who owns this condo is the wife of a lobbyist who has clients who with distinct interests in EPA business, uh, specifically Jay Stephen Hart, who's the chairman and CEO of Williams and Jensen, which represents Exxon Mobil, maybe you've heard of them, uh, and liquid natural gas company uh, Shinair Energy, uh, among others. And his, and his wife Ricky Hart uh, is also a lobbyist, though she works on healthcare issues. And so, so this is the so this is someone who's has direct ties to companies that he that the EPA should be regulating, and 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 the, and, and he's getting a sweet deal on this, and yet. That's supposed to be okay. Again, facts are facts. So that is all of those things are facts. Just just so Scott Pruitt knows. Uh, and then to move on to his unbelievable uh, ability to spend the government's money, which I'm going to come back to. The, the, the trick here is that I'm going to list a couple different ways he's wasting money, and then and then let you know uh, where that money is coming from. And I think it will be a little pretty obvious about what's going on here. So basically, he has managed to spend a ton of money in a variety of ridiculous ways. A lot of it is security focused. If you look at some of the more, it's it's that's what's so weird about this is that a lot of these a lot of these charges and a lot of the controversies he's built he's built in are coming from clearly a sense of of of. Uh, of delusions of grandeur, I guess I'll say, mm. um, in which you know he he managed to have he managed to spend over tens of thousands of dollars on security for his trip to Disneyland, 
Uh, he spent thirty thousand uh, dollars on security trip to uh, twenty seventeen to Italy. He spent almost seventy thousand um, dollars in travel expenses uh, in 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 March or doing a in March, including twenty thousand dollars for a four trip a day trip to Morocco and a series of first class flights. He's just like he's just funneling money out of the. Uh, out of the, the the government's coffers here, uh, largely just because he doesn't he doesn't want to he doesn't want to fly co- he doesn't want to fly normally, and he wants to be surrounded by as many um, um, as many different types of security as possible. He, I believe I uh, I I, I, to, I was going to he also spent a whole bunch of money in even more ridiculous upgrades to his office, mm. including I believe he's got a bulletproof uh, door. I think it is. Is, is that something he upgraded something to being several bulletproof. things are bulletproof. Yeah, he uh, everything but his alibi. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so... Zing. Where's that soundboard, man? Can I yeah, we, I think we, we, we need it. We're getting we we a soundboard. soundboard. <laughs> um, yeah, and so he is like, he is spending an unbelievable amount of money, really on just himself, you know, and, and, and it's government money over and over and over again. And so the question has to come with, you know, when you come in and you say that you're going to, you know, quote unquote, drain the swamp or trim the fat or any of the things that these, that these, that these conservatives do, and then you personally spend a ton of money yourself... That th- that really begs the question, where is this money coming from and what do you care about? Mm. And so, where is this money coming from? Well, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly at least in part, apparently going to come from the EPA budget, given that he's already – that the, the – the 2018 budget that Trump is looking to the originally that he sort of announced in February, I believe it's been slightly reduced at this point. But the original budget seeks to reduce 23% cut at the EPA. Including things like protections on on different Great Lakes dropping from seventy two uh, from so the Great Lakes program went from three hundred million to thirty million, uh, so a two hundred seventy million dollar cut on protecting the Great Lakes. After he's um, he's also cutting the uh, restoration of the Chesapeake Bay from seventy two million to seven million. So he's like he's just cutting and cutting and cutting in all these ways. He's cutting the Office of Science and Technology would drop by more than a third, from seven hundred sixty-two million to four hundred eighty-nine million. Like he, this is what he's doing. They're just gutting the the bay. He is cutting three thousand two hundred positions. More than twenty percent of the agency's workforce is part of this plan. All the while, because he needs money for the bulletproof glass. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's like all the while, like he's basically replacing people whose job it is to do EPA work with his own security detail. That's you know, like he. That's, yes, but we haven't seen their resumes. They might be highly qualified to produce uh, EPA right. policy. Yes, exactly. That's yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he'll start asking. Well, it's the like people the teachers thing. They actually hired a bunch of scientists, called them bodyguards, but they now they also carry guns. So it's the it's like the ah, arming the school teachers. Oh, I thing. see. Right. Yes. He's just he's actually being very effective arming the with scientists. His, yeah, he's just being very effective. He's doing double duty. I mean, really, there you know you could have double the employees, but you now needed half because he's just arming his scientists. Ah, uh, okay. I and didn't... keeping them with him at all times so that he's very informed. Right. I, this is actually a great plan. I love it. <laughs> he's is really nailing this clearly yeah. but for like, the sake of that disclaimer before our show that was sarcasm yes <laughs> yes we do not actually think he's army <laughs> scientists um and so uh, so this is uh, this is the last thing i'll say on on scott pruitt uh before we move on to the to the next one which is just that scott can i call you scott maybe i can um people don't like people don't like you. That's like, I, I won't. I won't question that. People I'm don't sure like you. Yeah, people, people don't, don't like, like you. But but no one cares about you enough for that kind of security detail. Right. No one no one presumes that you are uh, are are in any way more than a puppet for Trump's for Trump's will. Uh, and no one is coming after you, Scott Pruitt. Uh, so maybe spend some of that money you're spending on all the security detail and put it back into I don't know protecting the environment, which is literally the name of your organization this is not the scott pruitt environment this is not the scott pruitt protection agency this is the environmental protection agency uh it is a different thing there's the environment which isn't you it's not your environment you're protecting it is the it is the general environment so one uh, one additional caveat I want to make to that, which uh, was not I don't believe either of you mentioned, uh, but is an interesting detail. So like um, like all this talk about um, the, all the legal trouble surrounding Trump, and we're not getting into that today, but it's boy have I been glued to my TV set uh, on that one, uh, especially this week and the phone call yesterday morning. Man, we're not going to get into it, but if you're not if you don't know what I'm talking about, open a newspaper right now. Oh man, you uh, mean the call that he made into yeah, the yeah, Fox, the Fox News call. Oh, so man. I like that. I just want to draw a correlation to that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. Pause the show, look it up. 
and then come back. <laughs> uh, what we're looking at with that situation is that, like, you know, uh, so the, the the quick overview and why I'm mentioning it because it relates to what I want to say about Scott Pruitt is that essentially people are like, well, you know, there's all this concern from the Mueller investigation, but you know, he could fire Mueller, and while that would be very bad, you know. You know, it's unclear if he'd be able to wrangle his way out of that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even if his hair was on fire, could he survive it as and keep his presidency? It's not impossible, right? The the Republicans are spineless, and that's they've demonstrated that every five seconds for the last year. Uh, but there's this new concern through the uh, Michael Cohen investigation that every sign, both what we're publicly seeing and privately we hear is being said through reports, um, is that he's far more concerned, and, he, and apparently he should be far more concerned about the other case uh, because it is going through the states and he can't offer pardons. So there's this, mm. he's exposed himself to liability, and that's why that phone call this morning. So, so here's how this relates to Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt, uh, Donald Trump has basically already decided, yeah, I don't care what people say about him. I'm keeping him there because he's doing what I want him to do. And all my donors are very, very happy with all the regulations that he's cutting. So yeah, he's untouchable right now. That seems to be the message. We all know that could change in a moment, but that seems to be the message. But here's the thing. Uh, Scott Pruitt has done illegal things, <laughs> uh, including, oh, uh, sorry, I should be careful about the word illegal because I don't know uh, how that legally applies in this case. But there are budgets, for instance, for office expenditures, which he has uh, broken. So it wasn't just like unconscionable. It's not just distasteful that he spent a million dollars on bulletproof glass. It's actually against policy. Um, and he, that money's now been spent. So like he's like Trump, Pruitt and others are putting themselves in positions completely on un these unforced errors into positions oh, yeah. where they're the law might be able to do what politicians have not been able to. And so on that, that's all I wanted to say on that. But keep your eye on that. He may go down for other reasons with or without Trump. Oh, yeah, he will probably get forced out. Yeah, given even then one that we sort of opened with the fact that he had that the one of his higher ups forged his signature to give two aides a huge raise that alone should be as a fireable events you know uh, and that could be an excuse but imagine that's your best excuse with someone forged my signature who works for me and no i'm not going to fire them yeah, i won't exactly. tell you who they are <laughs> yeah uh yeah and then and, even if true that's terrible <laughs> yeah and all, you know let, let alone the the Staying in a lobbyist's house, uh, but we've we come we the next one is pretty short because it's only just like oh look another climate denier is getting uh, is getting promoted. Uh, but Dave, let's know who the new head of NASA is going to be. Uh, the new head of NASA will be a former climate denier and scientifically unqualified business administrator and politician, named Jim Bridenstine. He has just been sworn in to head NASA, the agency responsible for some of the world's most reliable climate research. In 2013, he falsely claimed that global temperatures had ceased rising a decade before. Uh, Bridenstine has said that he now believes that human beings affect the climate, but would not confirm that we are causing climate change. Uh, he is the first politician to head the agency. And, and I will agree that water exists, but I will not agree that it's wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is presuming that previously that all the leaders were of NASA were scientists. That's the of some sort. Yeah, yes, that's the difference. Uh, and it is it is a sad day. Or it they would have extensive military training, or right. They, some, would, they would have some sort of qualifications towards what NASA does. What might be called <laughs> what might be called a resume. Yes, <laughs> they, they might. Oh, okay, I like how I, I honestly I, at this point any really complete unqualified hire. I just want to say they're the first politician to be hired. Like I like how politician at this point is this become means you're not qualified to do the job. <laughs> I'm it's pretty like, sure that's what that is. Like, yeah, you know, like next time next time the uh, you know the the, the 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 Blue Jays need a new coach, we'll just hire a politician. It's like you know, does he have does he know the score of baseball? We have no idea but he's the first politician to be hired uh but so but we're gonna go to break because this is depressing but i, I just want to say uh, very quickly that it is a sad day when both the epa the head of the epa and the head of nasa are worse on climate change than the former Sec secretary of state uh, who was an oil CEO for many, like for his entire life. Yeah, like, he has an only job. Yeah, his only one job, job yeah, is yeah. adult life. Yeah, and mm. you know, like say everything that you will about Rex Tillerson, which he's very bad in all of the ways. Uh, and arguably he, but he knew climate change because Exxon knew since 1988. Uh, around 19, sorry, not around 1988, a little before that, I think actually. And so he's, he at least accepted that climate change was man-made. And he was the CEO of Exxon. <laughs> And yet we can't find an EPA chief or a head of NASA who will unequivocally state that is human caused climate change is the problem and we need to move forward on this. Yeah. 
let politicians uh, if, if Trump's idea of draining the swamp was to have the first politician to be leading all these things, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll await the next time his next the next head of military is going to be just a random guy he found off the street who right. doesn't believe in like the military. No, exists. it's I guarantee I'll tell you who it is. I'll tell you who it's going to be right now. Sean Hannity. Oh, oh no! Oh. <laughs> the moment, the minute Sean Hannity is running the Pentagon is the minute that we know we're all definitely in the darkest timeline. Well, yeah, him and Bolton. Put him and Bolton in. There you go. Uh, anyways. Uh, my nightmares are now coming true. <laughs> I uh, think it's time for music break. Time for a break. All right, Megan, what do you got for us? And welcome back. Thank you so much for listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Saren Kaster, and uh, in studio with the Dave and Stefan. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Hostetter. Uh picking up uh, a lot of the heavy lifting here today. Thanks, guys. Uh, what is our last section going to be? Yeah, so we're uh, we're switching tones a little bit uh, to guys. This is a one of the, uh, one of the more darker stories. I, I, I guess there's like I, I feel like it's this is an interesting actually quick sidebar, which is that I find it. Uh, you, you know, I guess you know when uh, the, the the quote the, where you, where people go on about how like one death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a is a statistic. I feel like I have a much easier time sort of being jovial about the end of the world when it's climate change, and a much harder time when you're talking about individuals who are sort of living the current mm. in the current issues. And so I find it much. I find these stories when you sort of switch back from the sort of grand scheme of the absurdity of the of the world we live in. You know, the the absurdity that you see with Scott Pruitt, the absurdity you see with the sort of political intrigue in, in Good Morgan, and then you zoom in to the individual people that are sort of fighting this fight on the ground. Ground. I find that I have a. It really, it really reshifts my thinking and reminds me, I think, of the of the humanity that that each one of us is that 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 is behind every one of these big decisions. You know, it is not, it is it is not that Scott Pruitt uh, is. Uh, is not hurting people, but it is a very different. It, 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 the human brain is an interesting thing, I guess I will say. Uh, so we're going to start off with, with sort of this this ongoing uh, report uh, that the Guardian continues to update, and it's great. Uh, around the story is not the great. Reporting the reporting is great, is great uh, around how dangerous it is to be an environmental land defender. Uh, and uh, so, Dave, let's get some uh, let's get information. So, twenty environmental defenders have been killed this year. And yes, this comes from an ongoing report from The Guardian. At the current rate of deaths measured over the past year, the chances are that four environmental defenders will be killed this week somewhere on the planet. And I will give you a list of some of the most recent. April 14th in Brazil, Nazildo dos Santos Brito, an anti-palm oil campaigner, was executed by unknown assailants. March 26th in India, Sandeep Sharma, a journalist investigating illegal sand mining, died after being hit by a truck. March 2nd in the Philippines, Ricardo Mayumi, an an indigenous activist opposed to a hydro dam project, was shot dead in his home. February 20th in Honduras, Luis Fernando Ayala, 16-year-old member of Santa Barbarense environmental movement, was found dead with signs of torture. January 17th in Kenya, Robert Kiratich, an indigenous herder, was shot by the, Kenya's, by the Kenya Forest Service during a forced eviction for an EU-funded water conservation project. January 16th in Mexico, Guadalupe Campanur, founder and ex-member of Forest Defense Patrols in Cheran, was found strangled on a roadside. January 9th in Guatemala, Ronald David Barrias Diaz, a Zinca leader and human rights defender, was shot dead. The most dangerous places for environmental defenders continue to be South and Central America, Southeast Asia, and Southern Africa. Indigenous communities continue to be the hardest hit. Most killings occur due to industry claims in remote villages in mountains and rainforests. And the top four industries related to these killings are agribusinesses, mining, poaching, and logging. I'm assuming agribusinesses is things like palm oil and whatever other projects they get from clear cutting. Right. Yeah, and, and other agricultural businesses, something like that. Agriculture specifically. Um, and I think the 
so uh, the, the, this can feel, I feel like when you go through this, there's a couple different takeaways that I always come to. Uh, the first is the overwhelm is the fact that it is so clearly that the indigenous communities are so often on the front lines. They are so often the ones that are being persecuted in this manner. Like that, that has to be noted that, you know, it, it is not, it is not uh, a sp- it is it is a worldwide thing that these indigenous communities are the ones that are mo- the care of most for the the land. And that they are the ones who are most uh, most in danger of, of 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 these of these of these of these attacks, and also the ones who are sort of most willing to put themselves on the front lines and really defend the land. There's a there's a that is a true across the world, um, and that is why so much of the uh, of the of the of the need to support these indigenous resistances is is seen as central to the need to really shift our focus back to respecting the land it needs to because these are the people who are sort of showing the way. These are the people you have to listen to from that point. Let's, let's be honest about the ugly side of that too, which is that people, the people who do these types of despicable and horrifying things also know that it's a lot easier to kill an indigenous person than it is somebody else uh, because there's, they know that it doesn't matter what country in the world you're in, that just universally uh, these groups have less power, they have less political power, there's less, uh, less money, and it's a lot harder to, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty easy, oh, some indigenous person died and who knows and we lost the paperwork. It's a lot harder to do that if somebody lives in downtown New York or in Toronto and they're, you know, what? For instance, mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, and that's an ugly, ugly fact. But we, I don't want to hide from it. That's no. that's a fact. Well, yeah, and 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 to to sort of go further from that, uh, there's the other thing I want to I want to I want to focus on here is the fact that these, while more often than not, while you know, while we say that the most dangerous places to be are South and Central America and Southeast Asia and Southern Africa, it's very important to note that th- that. They're the most dangerous places, but not not because of being there, but because of the industries that are being exported that are that are fueling our wealth. You know, the the fact that mining is one of the one of these things. The Toronto is the world mining capital, or one of the world mining capitals. The the, the, the TSX holds, a, a, you know, a vast percentage of the uh, of, of 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 mining companies, and and so when these people are being are being murdered, it's sure. It, can you directly tie it usually to a to the the mining the, the, a particular mine that's in the area? harder usually but usually it's a contractor of a contractor of a contractor or it's caused by a stir that's a fight because of a mine is coming in or or xyz you know even here there's an example here the one in kenya uh, and this is an eu funded water conservation project this is supposed to be you know i'm sure in the this is being billed in the eu as a as a as an environmental win and yet still it is leading to the to, to the death of of a, of environmental land protector mm. and 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 these are the the facts that you really can't you, you, you can't distance yourself from the fact that despite it happens somewhere else, it, the money flow is flowing from, from places like, like Toronto. The money is flowing from places where uh, you know, the extractive industries that we, are, that we are putting around the world and the money's coming back to are causing these, these issues or are, are, are basically are putting people in the scenarios where these fights are happening and, and then leading to these, to these, to these, 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 these killings. You know, and and so while uh, while we would like, I'm sure, to to think that it is not our problem, or that it is not that we are not, you know, that that is some, something that's happening somewhere else. Uh, it is it is it is something that is being exported from Canada. You know, these these a lot of these things, especially in the mining specifically, is coming from is from from Canada and then into these other countries. Right. And so, uh, Stefan, you've mentioned before, but not in a while, that you uh, you actually have a philosophy background. Yes. And so, a common I'm sure you'll recognize uh, philosophical uh, a thing that is done in philosophy often are these sort of quandaries, right? You ask uh, these these philosophical questions, and they're meant to help you think. And so, one of the ones that I've heard that I'm sure you're familiar with, or some variant of it, is this idea that you know. You could ask people, well, if you had an absolute certainty, this is magic thinking. I'm just, don't think about the reality. It's just a hypothetical. If there was a button and that would uh, kill a random person you've never met and you never would meet and never will impact your life, or as far as you're concerned, they'll never exist. And it would give you, and there was absolutely 100% certain that you could not get caught and no one would ever know and you'd get a million dollars, would you do it? Now, nobody would ever admit saying yes, but any realist knows that in reality, a certain proportion of the population absolutely would press that button. Right. And so the, the purpose of me saying that, Stefan, is that we all know that the, these, this is actually a, not a hypothetical. There are oil companies with billions and billions of dollars on the line. And that magic button that guaranteed no one will ever know and you'll never get caught gets reduced down to now there's like a 0.000001% chance you'll ever get caught. And instead of a million dollars, it's a billion. 
That's the scenario. Now, I'm not going to make a claim about what ratio of people do it or how often that specific circumstance happens, but that scenario does happen. And those people do really have that. And we know for a fact from the reporting that, that uh, Dave just did that some people press the button. Well, it, 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 well, at the very least, that yes, that like you know that you're going to cause a destabilization. A de you're destabilizing an area, or that you're coming in and forcing something into something that they don't want, um, and that you're go that easily could lead to these type of things. You know, the there is a yeah, there's a reason why these areas are dangerous, and the reason why is that people come in offering offering some people tons of money. Uh, as uh, and then and then is, and then the, the implicit part of the second part of that is if only this mine could go through, uh, you would be rich, and and so and so and so you're not you know you're not you're you're providing an uh, you're just letting people know the things around you and then you're like you know and you're walking away as if you're not complicit in this sort of work. And another plausible deniability that the companies use is they'll do that they'll say this is going to be really we're going to put billions of dollars into your local economy by the way we're hiring security guards and then they don't oversee them in any way and they just say well you're just responsible for securing the site and then turn and then sort of blind themselves and walk away and that's often how these situations will come about when the company is not directly responsible but they've intentionally I that's my statement I can't mm. prove that but my opinion is intentionally created circumstances where that that fosters or encourages that behavior that allows them plausible deniability and again I just want to be clear yeah. that that's me mm. making a claim but that is my yeah. opinion yeah mm. and and then and then I was, uh, the last thing I want to do uh, to point out uh, before we we go on to our, our last story is just the 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 breadth of the types of, of things that the that that are being f that are that are being flashpoints around the world. You know, this is an anti palm oil campaigner. This is someone from sand mining. Which, as an aside, we could if you ever like if you ever want to know if you want to be scared about the world because every once in a while something comes off across, across across my desk and it's like I didn't know that existed. Oh, it's but it's it's in it's in severe decline and we're probably screwed. Oh, okay. Uh, the <laughs> the world is losing a incredible amount of sand. We are running out of sand. And just Google that and look into it. And it's it's unbelievable. Believable. And so the fact that there's an illegal sand mining going on is not surprising uh, because because that is because because sand is becoming a resource uh, a non-renewable resource because we're putting it in we're putting it in in, in concrete uh, and and is, that's going to be like, as we get closer to running out of peak sand which might have already passed peak sand to be honest uh, but so that's much for that line about the Stone Age not ending well, exactly we're running out of stones <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> turns out we're running out of small stones yeah it just turned out the Stone Age just lasted longer than we thought yeah. um, uh, and and then and then again a hydroelectric dam like this is again is that's a that is seen as clean energy and that yet the conversation again hydro dam projects we see with site c and we see in other places around the world that hydroelectric dam projects are not the cure-all that that i think other people would like you to do they're obviously when they can be used are, are great sources of clean energy but there's you need to understand where you are when you're doing things like this and and you keep going down there's you know there's there are so many different elements of of ways of which we're not sort of listening to what's going on or, or reacting to what's going on and it's causing this sort of tension and all of that needs to be need to be understood that you know this is not this isn't you can't blame blame on any single industry even there's there's a like it's it's the way we are act it's it's almost a societal the pathology of society that land should be used however capital wants it to be used mm -hmm. and that is what's bumping up against these land defenders and that is what's causing this whole problem mm -hmm. and so it's 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 the pathology of, of of capital comes for everything that we need to sort of fix before any of this is going to get much better uh Speaking of removing money, uh, the last story is sort of a sort of follow up a little more facts of something we covered last week. Uh, Dave, what's uh, what is a bank that I really don't like doing that is good? So Europe's largest bank, HSBC, announced on April twentieth that it will expand its ban on financing new coal projects to more countries, stop financing new Arctic drilling projects, and will not support new tar sands projects. Uh, in countries that still require coal, financing will be allowed. Uh, these are places with no currently viable uh, renewables and places where it is the only source of power. And they're also providing, or they have pledged to provide $100 billion of sustainable financing and investment by 2025. Yeah, so again, we, we briefly touched on this last week about sort of how... Uh, and a couple other banks, I think, have have begun moving this direction as well. Uh, the minute that any of the Canadian banks decide to do this, that will be especially newsworthy, mm -hmm. uh, given that right now, if you're trying to decarbonize your portfolio, quote unquote, or find a way to really to, to avoid supporting these organizations that are still funding the tar sands, uh, the Canadian banks are are all are all a part of 
uh, some of the worst, uh, the worst, the worst pieces of that. And if you want to know more about that, by the way, go to greenmajority.ca and Google Tim uh, within the page. Google yeah. Tim Nash. We yeah. have several episodes with Tim who will tell you much more about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then, and then he'll also, I believe, on uh, you can also t- check out how to then leave the banks and join a credit union uh, right. if you at that point are so sad that you're like, all right, how to get my money out of this? Yeah. That's the answer. Or uh, or go on Twitter and look up CoPower if you're looking for other places to invest your yeah. invest your money. There's lots of alternatives, folks. Yeah. Um, and so and so this is important. This is again, this is like this is a when a major bank like this makes a move like that, especially Europe, Europe's largest bank, it shows the direction we're moving. And again, as I mentioned even last week, uh, it also shows the direction of which the world is moving. And as much as Jason Kenney or you know or any of the people who are still supporting the Skinner Morgan pipeline want it to be, uh, the fact that we they are losing sources of funding piece by piece by piece. Um, is should be an indication that you know it doesn't matter how much you want this to be the case, it it cannot be the case, which is again is to go back to that sort of hard line that Trump that Trudeau did not expect to get f- from uh you know from from climate activists and and the sales of First Nations, um, that is the question right like this is the thing that they see that is not allowing people to talk to each other. It, you know, it's the part of that I don't. I I I I've never gotten a real great answer. Uh, in part, and I I'm actually going to I think I spend some time in the next couple of weeks or months uh, to try to come up and find an answer to this question. But the the people who are like really supporting these projects, I need to understand what they understand the timelines to be, because at some point, you know, the, the banks see the science. Uh, the funders see the science. Everyone starts seeing the science and the writing on the wall. And it, there's just a, a complete question of how and why are we going to do this? Uh, because event, like, because no matter how much you deny it, it doesn't change the fact that it's happening. Uh, Stefan, I think we're going to have to leave it there. And I'm just earmarking 10 seconds for myself to tease my topic here because we didn't get to it. But boy, uh, every few seconds throughout the show today, I was thinking that's another great example of my, that my idea would solve. <laughs> so tease for next week's show. I'm earmarking it here publicly. Uh, uh, I am going to take the last 20 minutes of next week's show to talk about a couple of policy proposals. One of them, uh, I'm going to refresh an old one I brought up. This other one is a new one. We're talking about systemic. These aren't campaigns. These are changes to the way that government in Canada specifically, we're talking about our country here, effective uh uh, create effective policy. So this isn't like a climate change policy. These are restructuring of how government functions to to help filter out some of these problems that we just don't seem to be able to find a way out of in our current system. I will have to flush it out next week. We're out of time, but please tune in for that if you're interested at all about uh, changing how government functions to solve some of these problems and not just trying to find less corrupt or more sensible politicians. That's where we'll have to leave it for this week. Please check out greenmajority.ca for all the links and supplementary materials. Thank you so much to Dave and to Stefan and for our tech Megan for coming. And as you, the listener. Thanks so much for listening. Check out greenmajority.ca again and have a good green week.